0: One man said it this way, when you're outgunned, outnumbered, and outmanned, you need a right-hand man. Well, let's talk about it today on Kingdom Speak in another of our foundational series with Bishop Floyd Odom. Let's go. It's going to be good. You know it. Oh, yes. So we just wrapped up God pronouns. Yes. That was okay, don't you guys think? Oh, yeah. Wow, I say that in jest. That was revelation. Incredible. Incredible. And, you know, once you get something good going, you don't want to stop, right? Right. right. So we're back again Right. with Bishop Floyd Odom. Right. You know, it's kind of like um, the wells of Bethlehem. David. Mm-hmm. David um, clearly drank water on a consistent basis, but there came a day when he said, "Oh, for a drink of water from the wells yeah. of Bethlehem." There was just something, something special about that water, and so we have found a well. Yes,
1: <laughs>
0: and um, we we've got. Pastor Townley back with us uh, today, and we love and appreciate him, and we have got Bishop Odom, who is the impersonation of the Well of Bethlehem, and we want to go deep again today. Yeah, that's right. Today. Let's jump in. Yeah. So, we, um, you already referenced it, but if you have not yet listened to the episode, God Pronouns, please stop this one, go there, Mm. and then come back. Um, Bishop, we are thrilled that you are here again today. Pastor Townley, do you have anything you want to chime in before we um, unleash the bishop on Kingdom
1: Speak today? I'm just here to be the right-hand man to the, to the safe. That's it. <laughs>
0: Aww. Aww. Yeah, you're wanting the badge of honor, aren't yeah. you? Yeah,
1: that's it. Yeah. I just want to be able to say I was there when it happened. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Amen. Put me down. <laughs> uh, yes. So, Bishop, you started us on, on um, a journey of uncovering these precious truths that we hold dear. And we're we're back at it again today with uh, a little more discussion on the oneness of God. Where are you going to take us today?
1: Well, first of all, Brother McKillop, thank you again for inviting me to be with you on this international podcast. And I've said this to you privately and even already today, God bless you for your vision And I believe that what we're doing together is going to have great worldwide benefits because indeed we are exalting Jesus Christ in all glory and putting him in the preeminence as the first, the last, the beginning, the end, the all eternal great God. So brother, we'll just start when you're ready. Today we're going to talk about the topic on the right hand of God. Oh. And what that means in the revelation of the oneness of the Godhead. Wow. I'm ready. I don't know what you guys. We're ready. Let <laughs> us go. I greet everybody in the name of the Lord. God bless you for following Bishop McKillop and his ministry. I hope that what we'll be doing today will be enlightening and revelatory. It truly is one of the great topics that needs to be discussed And God bless you again, Brother McKillop, and let me please say God bless Brother Townley. Absolutely. And God bless Brother Derek, and God bless you, Brother Randy. I give you honor today also. Thank you, Brother McKillop, for allowing me the privilege to be proactive and be a presenter of the revelation of Jesus Christ when it comes to the topic of the right hand of God. I will explain more in detail in just a few minutes, but let me say at the outset that Two of the most important topics in the Scripture, many apostolics or, if you please, oneness believers have a struggle to explain. It's this one, the right hand of God as it relates to Jesus Christ and the mighty God. And number two is, to whom was Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and when He was on the cross? Today we're going to be talking about topic number one and that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that this will be gently presented to you, and that if you've never had a full understanding of this, that after today, you will have a complete, total, and clear revelation that Jesus Christ is not the second person in a Godhead, but Jesus Christ is the Godhead, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and he is the right hand of God. Yes. Yes. So, Pastor, God bless you. If you have any more introductory remarks, I want to hear from you. If not, uh, you know me, just pull my string when you know I've gone my allotted time, and we'll call it a day.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, we want to hear it. We want to hear
1: it. We'll open up and let's talk, first of all, about the numerous scriptures in the Bible that refers to the right hand of God. I might tell you, brethren, that the the, the words, the right hand of God, is not found in the Old Testament except primarily in the um, statement that Moses wrote in the book of Exodus. Now, however, the title, right hand of God, is replete in the Old Testament and I'll be lifting from what Moses said about God's right hand in the book of Exodus. But let's go first of all, and I'm going to kind of quickly run down some scriptures that make reference to the right hand of God. Jesus is talking in Mark chapter 14, and Jesus said that ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory. Now, the key to this, the Son of Man— He did not say the son of God. So he was addressing the humanity. He was addressing uh, the sacrifice. Mm
0: -hmm. He
1: was addressing that role. He was playing as the lamb for sinners slain. He did not say that you will see the son of God, but you will be seeing the son of man sitting on the right hand of power. Let me say at the outset, and I'll walk you through this, and I trust that my presentation will have enough evidence that there'll be no question that what I'm going to say now to you is right. The right hand does not mean a position of right or left when it comes to a right side or left side of an omnipotent, omnipresent, or an omniscient God. I'll go through that again momentarily. Jesus is speaking again in Luke chapter 22 and verse 69, and he says, Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Again, the key, the Son of Man, referring to the manifestation of God, the image of God, the flesh, the person, the human, Jesus Christ. In the book of Mark chapter 12, Jesus is speaking again, and I want to read this very carefully. And he said, for David himself said, by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Then we move from the Gospels to the book of Acts. It's chapter 2. Simon Peter is the preacher. He refers to the right hand in Acts 2 and verse 25, Acts 2 and verse 33. And then we go to the book of Acts chapter 5. And we have a reference of the right hand of God again in chapter 5 and verse 31. Perhaps the most um, intriguing verse in the book of Acts when it comes to the right hand of God is a quote by deacon, martyr Stephen in the seventh chapter of Acts. And I'm going to read this in totality. This is just before Stephen died from the hell of stones that took his life. And in verse 55 and verse 56, Stephen made the statement, But being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus on the right hand of God. And behold, in verse number 56, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. So when Jesus made reference to the Son of Man in the book of Mark, chapter, or the book of Mark, chapter number eight, I think it is, and then the book of Luke. And now Stephen is talking about it. It's very important that you understand that he's not saying the Son of God, but he is saying the Son of Man. He's talking about the sacrifice. He's talking about the atonement, the propitiation that Jesus Christ came to fulfill as the Lamb of God that was slain uh, for all sinners, even from the foundation of the world in the plan of God. So when we talk about the reference of the right hand of God and Jesus either or standing or sitting on the right hand of God, it is not talking about a secondary seat or a secondary throne. Because before this lesson is over today, I will show you in the book of Revelation that there's only one throne in heaven, and Jesus Christ is sitting on that one throne. The apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, and it's several verses, it's verses 19 through 22, he's in reference about the right hand of God, but about that this was wrought in Christ. And when the apostle Paul makes reference to being wrought in Christ, we know that the title Christ is the Greek rendition of the Hebrew term Messiah, the promised one, mm-hmm. the anointed one, right. the sacrifice again or the. In the book of Colossians, chapter three, Paul makes reference again to the right hand of God. First Peter. Chapter 3, verse 22, the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 1, the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 8, the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 10, the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 12, the right hand of God. Revelation chapter 5, the right hand of God. So let us establish, and I hope that you will receive me in the Holy Ghost. We fully believe in the right hand of God, but we do not believe that the right hand of God is an appendage of a human body, but we believe it is Jesus Christ who is the image, the form, the visibility of the invisible God. He's the image of God. And his humanity, his Calvary price, purchasing our salvation with his own blood, he through that becomes the right hand of God. I want to call your attention now to the book of Exodus, and I want to slow a little bit of my presentation down. I just simply referred to a number of scriptures in the New Testament, but I want to begin to break it down much more uh, carefully. In the book of Exodus, um, Moses is speaking, and he makes a statement that about uh, God's right hand and what it actually will mean. And the very first time the term, the right hand of God, is used is Exodus chapter 15, and here's what Moses writes. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy." God's right hand is not an arm or a hand or a human appendage, but it is glorious in power and his power and his strength has dashed the enemies that rose up against Israel. Mm. The right hand of God has absolutely nothing to do with any part of a human body but it has everything to do with God's glory and God's power. Right. His right hand is not a location. His right hand is not, and I'm repeating, a human body appendage, but his right hand is his own glory and his own power. I want to repeat, Exodus 15 and 6 is not emphasizing a body of God, and his right hand, but it's emphasizing his glory and his power with which he dashes the enemies of Israel. The God of the Old Testament is spirit, and the spirit was made known or manifest in the flesh in the New Testament in the person in the body of Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ, we see the image of the invisible Elohim. The Old Testament God of creation, and I taught you recently, the title Elohim is found approximately 200 times in the book of Genesis alone. Consequently, when we come to the discussion of the right hand of God, it is not discussing any part of a human body, because the God of the Old Testament indeed did not have a human body. Right. If you remember when Jesus was evangelizing in Samaria, it was the sixth hour of the day. He had sent his disciples into the village of Sychar to purchase food for them to eat for lunch. And while sitting on Jacob's well, there comes a woman to him, and Jesus engages her in conversation. And Jesus makes the statement to her that God is spirit. Yes. God was not flesh. God was not human, God was not body form, until God made himself flesh in the form of man in Jesus Christ. Now, there are three great titles that we need to at least mention, and I will emphasize just one of them, those three titles, and it's in reference to God. Number one, he is omnipotent. That means that he is all power. Number two, he's omniscient. That means he's all wise. He knows everything. He knows anything. Yes, he does. He knows all things. Yeah. But number three, the Bible speaks of him that he is omnipresent. And omni comes from the Latin word, which means he is all. And from that, we get feathered adjectives. He's everything. He's anything. And in his omnipresence, (laughs) omniscience, omnipower, he owns all power. And Jesus was speaking as the omnipotent God in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, when he said, all All power power. (laughs) is given unto me both in heaven and in earth. Jesus Christ, and I will give you proof of this today, is the all wise and all knowledgeable God that knows everything about anything and anything about everything. For <laughs> well, He is indeed the manifestation of the invisible, omniscient God. Yes. But the one that I want to dwell on today mostly is His omnipresence. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, if you would look at that verse where Jesus made the statement, when Jesus made reference to God is spirit, the word spirit is capitalized. But when he talked about we must worship him in spirit, the word spirit is not capitalized. So it's making a great distinction between God who is spirit. In the book of Genesis, the first time that God moved, he moved in spirit. Mm -hmm. For the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. So as the omnipresent God, Jesus Christ is the past, he's the present, he's the future, he's the first, he's the last, that which is, which was, and which is to come, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. And as I was preparing this lesson and going through some previous notes that I prepared as I presented this at a symposium, uh, Brother Townley and Brother McKillop, I felt those little special visitations of that jingle of the Spirit come on me, and I had to write this down, and I want to pass this along to our audience that Jesus Christ, he totally fills the vastness of space, and if possible, he fills anything beyond what we know as the vastness of space. He is universal. He is absolutely eternal in time. There's no place in space, and there's no time in eternity that he is not or huh. that he has not been but that He resides everywhere at all times. He is the omnipresent God. I want to try to walk you through something here. Knowing that God is omnipresent and that God is a spirit, and being omnipresent means He's everywhere to the right, to the left. If you remember, one writer talked about, Yea, though I go to the heavens, thou art there. Yea, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. You cannot visit anywhere that God is not already there. Right. So when we talk about the right hand of God, and now that we have proven to you that God in the Old Testament is a spirit and he's omnipresent, that means he has no limit to his right. He has no limit to his left. And when we start trying to identify the spirit of God that is omnipresent, It has an an extension to the right, an extension to the left. That is absolutely incomprehensible because he's simply the vastness of space. He is simply the vastness of time and all eternity. So there's no measurement of his right side because the spirit cannot have a right side as we as humanity can describe a right side. He has no left side in the same definitive sense that we can define that I have a left side. He's everywhere. He's all mm-hmm. directive. He's top, he's bottom, he's up, he's down, he's, he's right. So it's important that we as human beings, we cannot take the finite human body right. that is limited Absolutely. to time and that is limited to space and try to put God in that box, He is not limited, He's unlimited to space. He's unlimited to universe. He's unlimited to eternal time. He always was to the right. He always was to the left. He always was everything. And now for us to try to humanize him and physicalize him and make God have a human right hand when he is spirit. I'm sorry, friends. That's impossible to do because he's everywhere and yes. he's all things. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, so good. <laughs> the presentation of the right hand of God that I'm presenting today is not written to prove that the Trinitarian viewpoint of the Godhead is incorrect or that it is wrong. I don't mean to do that. However, it is imperative that, imperative, though, for me to express to you that according to the scriptures, there is not three separate distinct persons in the Godhead that have been named as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Right, and also they've been given a man-named title, which is not scriptural, co-powerful, and co-eternal. Now, only one of those can be considered scriptural. I don't mind telling you this. And Paul makes reference to the title of God the Father, Mm -hmm. and God is our Father. However, the title that's given to Jesus Christ by Trinitarians as God the Son, never does the Bible express Him as God the Son. I don't even have a number before me right now because it's in the multiplied dozens, though, how many times that Jesus is called the Son of God, Yes, and there's no Bible reference from Genesis to Revelation to make the statement of God, the Holy Ghost. Only one of those titles would be correct, and that is God the Father, and that is scriptural. So today, I don't mean to come and to go on the attack and to anger any good Trinitarian or to cause confusion, but it's impossible to try to condescend The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God within the boundaries and the framework of our human body. Yes. Do you have a right hand? Yes. Do I have a right hand? Yes. Do you have a left hand? Yes. Do I have a left hand? Yes. But does God have an appendage right hand? He cannot because he is vast. He's forever he is universe, he's all time, and he is all space. And let me make a statement about the two titles that are not scriptural, co-equal and co-eternal. That is not correct either, because Jesus said again in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, to show you there's co-equality of power, Christ said, all power is given unto me, (laughs) both in heaven and in earth. Right. And as far as this being co-eternal, that is not the truth either. Because in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. And Jesus Christ was not a part of the creative elements of Genesis chapter 1. Jesus Christ did not come as the form of God until he was born in David's village of Bethlehem. But it's very important, Bishop McKillop and Bishop Towney, though, that we understand that when the angel announced, "Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel," the angel was saying, "This is that Elohim, God, who has now made Himself in a physical form, yes. Emmanuel, which by interpretation is God with us." Yes. So I want to gently tell you: there's no such biblical title as God the Son. There's no such biblical title as God the Holy Ghost, no such biblical titles as the co-equality and co-eternality of God. Jesus Christ laid claim to the fact that he was the Father. He was teaching in John chapter 8, and I will quickly refer to this, but you can find this recorded in the Gospel of John in John chapter 8. And Jesus said, except ye believe that I am he, Ye shall die in your sins. Yes. I want all of my visitors to know that I'm not deliberately uh, omitting any scripture, but I want to get to the point that what Jesus was making. Jesus was saying to them, except you believe that I am he, Mm -hmm. ye shall die in your sins. Now, this is important. Die in your sins. And they understood not that he spake of them of the Father. Now, I don't want this to come across, bishops, as judgmental. I'm only quoting Jesus, and there's a lot of safety when we quote him. <laughs> Jesus calls it a deadly sin if you do not believe that he is the Father. Wow. But wow. Therefore, wow. we're not seeing separate personality in the one God. The Bible is replete, it's full from Genesis to the end book of Revelation to verify, to document that there's but one God. Brother Townley, I almost sense a little sensation of a little bit of a theological embarrassment when I begin to list some verses from the Bible that verifies there's but one God. One writer said there's literally hundreds of those verses. I don't have all hundreds of them available, but Galatians 3 and 20, 1 Timothy 1 and 17 1 Timothy 2 and 5, 1 Corinthians 8 and 6, Romans 3 and 30, Romans 16 and 27, Mark 12 and 32, Jude 25. I'm only mentioning these scriptures to you that the Bible abounds with repleteness of one God. Never does it say three gods. Never does it say three persons, co-equal, co-eternal. Right. never. That comprise the Godhead. Right. Jesus declared in the book of Luke chapter 24, for a spirit hath not flesh and blood. And if we apply this to the invisible God, it is impossible that the invisibility of God that became visible in Jesus Christ, that that invisible God did not have flesh or blood, However, let's move quickly now to the New Testament, and let me be careful that I do slow my process down, and I want the students to really grasp this. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Yes, sir. I want you to notice, first of all, a very important verse that Paul gives to us in Galatians, check that, that's Colossians chapter 2. Notice what Paul writes. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men yes. and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. If I was preaching on a pulpit to a live audience, I know me in my preaching style. I would have the audience to have some class participation right now and I'd have them to repeat Christ because Christ is the anointed one. Christ is the Messiah, right? right. Christ is the man. Christ is the image Christ is the form, the manifestation of God. Yeah. And Paul furthermore writes that, for in him, not oh, in yeah. him, while well, all the fullness, and that word fullness is very, very important, and we are complete in him, and he is the head, and that word head is very important. Even my dear and my beloved Trinitarian friends will never deny that Jesus is the head of all principality and power, Mm. they will not deny that Jesus is indeed the voice of God. They will not deny that He is the form, the image of God, but for some reason they will not allow Him to be the right hand of God. So let's break this down individually. The Bible, first of all, I want to talk about the word fullness. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The fullness of God that was in Jesus is the completeness of God. It's the details of God. It's the comprehensive God. And when we talk about the fullness of God, that means that the body of Jesus is the physical representation of the invisible God. I want to move now to the book... (laughs) if I could, of uh, Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes again, and he says these words in this verse, that Jesus is the form of God. And the definition of form is this, a form is a visible shape and the configuration of that which can be beholden or that which can be seen. When you behold the body of Jesus Christ, you're seeing the absolute image of the Spirit, are the invisible God. Moving on to Colossians 1 and 15, Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The definition of invisible, that which is not perceptible by sight. It is not visual that we mm-hmm. can be seen. I've made some footnotes when we talk about he's the form of God— Does that mean that he's every part of God except my Trinitarian friends will not allow him to be the right hand of God? Again, I would submit the right hand of God is not a geographical location of one side of God, but the right hand of God is God's majesty, God's glory, and God's power, and Jesus Christ being in the form of God he is the majesty of God. He's the comprehensiveness of God. He is the visibility of the spirit that we cannot see. Paul writes to through uh, to, to, to Timothy, it is in chapter three of First Timothy. And Paul talks about that God is manifest in the flesh. Let me close this brief part, and then I'll be going into my last segment momentarily. And I want to reiterate and perhaps a bit overemphasize the importance of you understanding that when you see Jesus Christ as the form, as the image, as the manifestation, as the visibility of God, you're seeing the totality of God wrapped up in that human form. Oh. Pastor Town. That you've been with me a long, long time over the years. You know this. The chapter in the Bible that I guess will always be more dear to me than all the others is the beautiful prophetic chapter of Isaiah chapter 53. By memory, I want to break this down for you. Isaiah writes, and he's prophesying of the coming of Jesus Christ. And he opens up with words, who hath believed our report? Watch this. And to whom is the arm? Yes. The arm. Yes. Of the Lord revealed. Yes. So, Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord, and there's no argument about that. The extension of the arm of the Lord is indeed the hand. And then there's numerous questions in the Scripture about the explanation of the right hand of God. Isaiah 53 clearly describes that Jesus is the arm of God, and if He is the arm of God, He indeed is is also the hand of God. When Isaiah saw Jesus Christ, he saw the flesh. He saw the manifestation. Did he see him at Calvary? Absolutely. Did he see him as sacrifice? Yes, because Isaiah says, he is dumb like a lamb before the shuras, and he opened not his mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, you're here today because of the influence of Bishop Daniel McKillop, and he is entrusted in me to declare to you that there is not a geographical right hand, a geographical left hand of an invisible God, because as the omni, the all-in-all, all, mm. omnipresent God, he's everywhere, and within the boundaries of of humanity, there is a right hand, Mm. but God is not limited by boundaries. Mm. I made this um, study, Bishop McKillop, and I went through this. Watch what the Bible says of Jesus Christ, and again, I would debate and submit and suggest and declare that Jesus Christ is the right hand of God, His sacrifice His death at Calvary, Mm. that represents God's majesty and God's glory. Colossians chapter 2 and 9 tells us that all is in Jesus Christ. Matthew 28 and 18 says that all power is in Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 8 says that all the wisdom and the knowledge of God is in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 35 All omnipotence and all omniscience is in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5 and verse 9, all perfection and all infallibility of God is in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 6, all steadfastness and all immutability of God is in Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12, all honor and all glory Is in Jesus Christ Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19 all of God's love and all of God's devotion is in Jesus Christ Mm. Hebrews 2 and 17 all God's grace and all God's knowledge Uh. is in Jesus Christ Hebrews (laughs) 2 and 17 all of God's mercy and all of God's pity is in Jesus Christ Hebrews chapter 9, verse 36. All compassion and all gentleness is in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1 and 16. All long suffering and all patience of God is in Jesus Christ. Luke 23 and 34. All pardon and all forgiveness is in Jesus Christ. Titus 2 and 13. All salvation and all redemption of God is in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7 and 26, all purity and all holiness of God is in Jesus Christ. John 14 and 6, all of truth and all of light from God is in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Hebrews 2 and 17, all faithfulness and all loyalty of God is in Jesus Christ. (laughs) John chapter 1 and verse 3, all of the created power of God is in Jesus Christ. First John tells us that all self-existence in life is in Jesus Christ. The gospel of John would teach us that all of the resurrection power (laughs) of God is in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 and 9, all the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 and 9. All the manifestation of God is in Jesus Christ. John 1 and 1 and John 21 and 25. All of the thoughts and all of the words of God are in Jesus Christ. I will end this momentarily, but I do feel the anointing of unction upon me to tell mm-hmm. all that are hearing me today I speak to you in the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is not a fraction, a no. percentage of God. But Jesus Christ is God all in all. He's the omnipotent, the omniscient, and the omnipresent God. Quickly, I add. Hebrews 3 and 1, he is God's apostle. John 12 and 38, here we go. He is God's arm, and if he's God's arm, the extension of an arm is the hand, so he is the hand, the right hand of God. Matthew 12 and 18, he is God's beloved. Zechariah 3 and 8. He is God's branch. Acts 14 and 7, he is God's child. Psalms 22 and 20, he is God's darling. John 14, he is God's dwelling place. Isaiah 42 and 1, he is God's elect. Zechariah 13 and 7, he is God's fellow. In the book of Philippians, I've already referred to this. He is God's form, Hebrews 3. He is God's high priest. In Colossians 1, I've already referred to this. He is God's image. This is a good one. In John 3, 16, he's the love of God. In Zechariah 13 and 7, he's God's man. In Romans 15 and 8, he is God's minister. In Revelation 3 and 14, he is God's person. And Acts 2 and uh, make that Acts 3 and 22, he is God's prophet. In Isaiah, 8 and 14, he is God's sanctuary. In Ezekiel, 34 and 24, he is God's servant. In Isaiah, 7 and 14, he is God's sign. In Luke, 1 and 35, he is God's son. In Matthew, 26 and 61, he is God's temple. In Revelation, 21 and 3, he is God's tabernacle. In Psalms, 31 and 12, he is God's vessel. In oh Hebrews God. 10. Yeah big one here. He is God's flesh in Isaiah 55 and 4. He is God's witness. And finally, in John 1 and 1, he is God's word. All theologians that I've talked to over my many years of the debate of the oneness of the Godhead, as I have defended it as the only true message of God in the scriptures, they will grant to me that everything that I've just said, that Jesus Christ indeed is that. So then when I pose to them the question, then if he is everything that I have said, I would propose to you that yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. the sacrifice at oh. Calvary, the son of man, the lamb for sin and slain, that is the majesty. And when the writers, and even quoting Jesus in the New Testament, when they may make the statement, sitting at the right hand of God, Standing at the right hand of God, it can be exemplified no clearer than the book of Revelation chapter number five. The Bible says, and there, there was in the right hand of him, not them, <laughs> him. of him oh. that sat on the throne, a book that was written, oh. sealed by seven seals, and John writes, and I whip much, because no man... Man, no man was found worthy Woo. to open the book. But if you'll roll the book back just a little bit and yeah. listen to the worship service of the 24 elders that have just recently fell off of their thrones <sighs> and cast their crowns at the feet of him, God. not them, that sat upon the one throne, not three thrones, that's in heaven or in New Jerusalem, their words, and I repeat them, for thou art worthy oh, yeah, to receive glory and honor and power. And John said, and I wept much, because no man was found worthy, no man in heaven, no man in earth. But by this time, friend, the manship, the sonship, the humanityship of Jesus Christ was concluded at Calvary. Mm. Now he's total divine. Mm. He's total the omnipotent God that we can see in the bodily form as the image of the invisible God. And John looked and he saw a lamb that had been slain that came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. The lamb as it had been slain, we have to go back to Calvary. We have to go back to sacrifice. We have to go back to atonement. But the key now No man was found worthy. Hmm. When Jesus came and took the book, out of the right hand of him, we go back to the Mm -hmm. omnipresent God that has no ending to the right, to the left, everywhere at all time. Jesus Christ is the right hand of God. And Calvary, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, identifies and perpetuates and substantiates that Jesus Christ alone is the power and the majesty, and he alone is God's right hand. And in closing, Bishop McKillop, and I know you were wondering if I, if I would ever get to that brief statement in closing. <laughs> and in closing, the way that we see a full understanding of Revelation, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. Jesus promised the church of Laodicea as he made promises to the other six churches, but I emphasize the promise to the lukewarm church of Laodicea to he that overcometh will, will I grant yeah. to sit with me Oop. me <laughs> oh. <laughs> not us <laughs> and My throne, not plural, thrones. (laughs) My throne. Wow. i got to drop a bomb here. (laughs) It's interesting, Brother Town and Brother (laughs) McKellar, that Revelation chapter 3 closes at a door. For Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yes. But chapter 4 opens up with another door. And chapter 4 opens up, and after this I looked, and behold... A door was opened in heaven, wow. and the first voice that I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet speaking, talking to me, come up hither, yeah, and I will show you the things which must come to pass hereafter. And I looked, and behold, I saw a throne. A throne. One throne. Yes. Not a throne for other persons in the Godhead. And by the way, I, I need to make this statement. You know... Um, when we talk about the alleged first person and second person, and it's the first person and the second person allegedly talking about the right hand of God, I wonder how the third person feels because he's left completely out of the conversation. (laughs) Absolutely. There's no questions in the Godhead. One. Until Jesus Christ came. Mm. He was God's man. Yes. yes, he was God's servant. Hallelujah. God's servant. Yes, he was God's image. Oh, Jesus. He was God's form. He's the head of all things. He's the voice mm. of God. He's the arm of God. He is all in all. He's the invisibility of the God that cannot be perceived in vision that has been made known in humanity in Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, it really gives me a distinct honor that I can announce internationally through this wonderful podcast ministry to people around the world that the right hand of God is not a secondary throne. The right hand of God is not a secondary position, but the right hand of God, and I give him to you according to the Bible, is none other than the majesty and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when John saw that throne, one sat upon that throne. Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, the Son of Man that he so called in Mark and Luke, And by Stephen, Christ Jesus is the right hand of God. Father, I pray your blessings on my friend, Brother McKillop. God love him. God bless him. God bless his ministry. And God bless the great church in Plaster Rock. Pastor Townley, I send my prayers out to you. And while I'm praying, I pray for you, dear pastor. Don't you be discouraged. This gospel is right. The mighty God in Christ Jesus is doctrinally absolute without question correct. Preach it, Pastor. Preach it, Evangelist. Oh, yes. Hear, O oh Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Woo. I love you all in Jesus' name. Now I'm open for cross examinations. <laughs> God bless you in the name of the Lord. Oh my.
0: Wow. Wow. Man, well,
1: yeah. let the dust settle for a moment.
0: Whoosh. Oh my Jesus! Come to the music. Yeah. Mm. Bishop. Wow. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Wow! What a you you referenced it, but man! A a personal favorite scripture of mine is, and I looked and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me.
1: Wow. Wow. May I interject a little interesting thought here? Yes. Yesterday I was reading, um, and I did post this on the website, I'm reading the book of Mark, and yesterday was the segment of the book, chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12. Do you remember when um, a couple of the brothers of Jesus they came to him and they had this um, favor to ask of him? Yeah. Can I and say? They, <laughs> and, and they said, Well, what, what can I do for you? I, I mean, he said that to them. Well, what do you want? And they said, well, that we, James and John, Yeah. I mean, after all, we were number three and number four in the line of those you call. We know Peter and Andrew were first, but, you know, let us sit one on thy right hand and one on thy left hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus <laughs> said, um, mm-hmm. That's not for me to give. Uh, Yeah.
0: That happens to be
1: me. Can my father give that? So, to show you the impartiality, Brother McKillop, of God, we will all sit on the throne with him.
0: Yes. Not just the two of them. <laughs> Woo. <Yeah>. Wow Bishop. <sighs> I feel like we had church this morning.
1: Mm.
0: That is incredible that this is the message. this is the message.
1: Yeah. I would speak to all the apostolics and the adherents of the oneness of the Godhead, don't you dare be afraid of going into any discussion about the right hand of God, the God of the Old Testament, Elohim, invisible, spirit only. And perhaps I do need to insert, I understand that many believe that in the Old Testament there were theophanies of God, and I'm okay with that. Sure, But... Just to limit Jesus Christ as another theophany is scripturally error. He is not just another, he is indeed the totality of that God. Yes. And I don't want any of our wanders adherents to be afraid of taking in any discussion. And I want to say again, and I wrap up my precious Trinitarian friends very gently. You've talked with me over the years, so many of you, and you've acknowledged to me, and I know you've done this only privately, that everything that I propose to you about who Jesus Christ is, you accept it. But it's time to my precious Trinitarian friends to also embrace that if he's the head, the voice, the eye, the ear, the arm, he and he alone— is the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid, preacher. Take this and be proactive with it. Wow. This is the truth. Wow. Okay, reverence, I'm really going to shut my part down. I'm going to be here and observe you and let you talk back to me for a few minutes. Go
0: ahead, Brother Talman. There's a bishop
1: question was... on the uh, right hand. It says that the elders saw a lion and John turned and saw the same image, and yet he called it a lamb. What were those elders seeing? Well, the the only way, okay, the only way that John remembered him, by the way, was in his humanity. But the only way that heaven knew him Uh. was in his deity. So when John wept because no man was found worthy in heaven and earth, The elder said, weep not, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, deity hath prevailed. And I looked, and when John saw what the elder said was a lion or deity, the lion of the tribe of Judah, John saw such a resemblance, I just knew him as sacrifice. I just knew him as humanity. I just knew him as the form and the image and the visibility of the invisibility. Huh. I just knew him as the manifestation. Now, I know that when John, and this, I better say this one. In chapter one, when John heard that voice like a trumpet, and he turned to see that voice, and behold, he saw one walking in the midst of the seven yeah. churches of America, the seven golden candlesticks. Yeah, And John said, Woo. He was clothed with a garment down to the foot with a golden girdle about the paps. His head and hairs were white like wool, white as snow. His face was like the sun in its brilliance. Mm-hmm. His eyes like a flame of fire. Out of his mouth came a sharp 2 edged sword. He held in his right hand the seven stars. His feet were like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. But John was still lingering to what he remembered, the sacrifice, the lamb. And when the elder said... Uh, The lion has prevailed. Weep not. And I looked, and what they said was a lion. I just remembered him as the lamb. Uh, The right hand of God. Wow. Praise the Lord. Oh, Woo!